Good morning. Good morning. It's truly encouraging to see you all here today, and I pray that the things that are said are edifying and uplifting and beneficial to your daily walk with Christ. Today I'm going to continue our series on godly success, and we're going to talk about eternal versus temporal priorities in your life. And I want to start by telling you a story about a woman that was at the Super Bowl, and she was sitting next to an empty seat, and a guy a couple of seats down from her asked her about it, and she said, that, that was my husband's, husband's seat, but he had passed away. You know, and a little befuddled, he said, I can't believe that you couldn't find any friends or family to join you to the Super Bowl. And she looked at him and says, I know I asked, but they all decided to go to his funeral instead. You see, we all have priorities, right? But when we start to discuss priorities, it's important to understand that a priority is something that has first importance in your life. And whether you think about it or not, we all live according to priorities because our goals determine our priorities, our priorities determine our choices, and ultimately our choices determine our final end. And the truth is, is that the Bible is a book of priorities, both God's and man's. And it is those truths that you should all be placing higher value on over anything else in your life. And by doing that, you're able to determine where you are in life, where your life is going, and whether or not there is any difference between God's plan for your life and your own life goals. Ultimately, is the road that you are on leading you to heaven or hell? There's no middle area. And there's a difference between eternal and temporal priorities. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, I'll, I'll read to you, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. I'll tell you a story, <clears throat> again, about a boy that was, he was eight years old, and he woke up one Sunday morning, his, his mother and stepfather were, were fighting. They had been up the night before drinking and, you know, woke him up. And feeling sad and helpless, he decides he just wants to get out of the house and get on his bike and go for a ride. So he gets dressed and he gets on his bicycle and he, he takes off and he finds himself going in a direction that he has never gone before, down some streets he has never seen before. And about a mile or so away, he stops and he looks as people were walking up this concrete staircase into this beautiful building and he's sitting there and he's looking and he looks at all the people and they're they're so friendly and he finds himself after a short period of time walking up those staircases not knowing what to expect but only knowing that he had this desire in the sense of needing to be there so he gets up the steps and he walks to the top and he's greeted it was so welcoming that no one asked where his parents were or what he was doing there only that he should be there. And he walks in, and he sees some kids sitting in the front, and he decides to take a seat in front of them. And that was his first experience with a worship service. And throughout the entire thing, he held back tears of joy, not really understanding what was going on, but that there was a sense of comfort that he had never felt before. You see, brothers and sisters, God has we have been created with a spiritual thirst that God has given you that no one or no thing can satisfy but God himself. And when you have that emptiness, God has designed you 
to search for what is missing. But first, you have to ask yourself, is your main goal pleasing God or yourself? And Paul, in, the, in his letters in the New Testament, encourages you to examine priorities in your life. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, But you, O man of God, flee these things. He was previously speaking about materialism and greed. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in front of many witnesses. See, Paul issues a powerful warning against making it a priority to focus your life on materialism and greed and gives you clear instructions on what your priorities will be to gain an eternal reward. And by a show of hands, how many of you ever played the board game Monopoly? Pretty much everyone here, right? I mean, we, have, we do as well. We often play it at home because the boys like it so much. <clears throat> you know, Monopoly is one of the most popular board games in the world. There are over 900 different variations of the game featured around things like singing groups, movies, TV shows, the, every branch of the military, a lot of different countries, a lot of different cities. And in fact, Monopoly is in, available in over 111 different countries and over 43 different languages. And I don't know if you know this, but in 1978, Neiman Marcus sold an entire chocolate version of Monopoly for $600 in 1978. And the most expensive Monopoly game ever made and sold was valued at over $2 million dollars which featured a 23-karat gold playing board and diamond-studded dice. However, there is something worth nothing here because Monopoly totally runs against the teachings of Jesus because Jesus said, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves can break in and steal, for where your tr treasure is, your heart will be also. You see, I'm pretty sure that Monopoly is all about storing up treasures on earth, right? You're trying to acquire as much money as possible and properties, the name of the game is to have a monopoly, to monopolize and control everything on the board. But why does monopoly set those goals? Because you have to have a way of measuring success. And monopoly's way of measuring success is acquiring all the money and buying as many properties as you can and building houses and hotels on those properties and pretty much beating the tar out of everyone else you're playing against, right? But in many ways, if you think about it, Monopoly reflects the mindset of this world. Is my paycheck bigger than yours? Is my house bigger than yours? Do I have more property than you have? Is my car more expensive, more luxurious, fancier than yours is? But why do you do that? Why do you have that mindset or think that way? Because you find yourself in life finding it as a way of measuring success. And how else would you know whether your life has meaning? But Jesus teaches us in the Bible there are other ways to measure success. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is your heart will be also. Or another way of saying it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It's very important for me to tell you that Jesus is not saying that it's not okay to have a big paycheck or a fancy car or a nice house. But what he's saying is, is that, not, that is not the way you should prioritize your life and measure success. And the way God's people measure success is not by comparing your life to the life of others. And in fact, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those 
who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. When you make it a priority to compare your life to others, you're simply showing that you're not too smart. And making a life and making a living are two very different goals. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 18 through 19, let them, he's previously talking about the rich, or he is talking about the rich in this, in this sense, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. See, the truth is, is that everyone in this room is wealthy in comparison to the majority of the world's population. And it's because of that wealth that your priorities and God's priorities are often in a struggle. And all of your material blessings of God are to be enjoyed and used for the service of God, not for self-centered living. There were 11 millionaires on board the Titanic whenever it sank. And one of the few millionaire survivors was Major A.H. Puchin. He left over $300,000 of his money, jewelry, and securities in a box in his cabin. And he later said that at the time that wealth seemed like a mockery, he grabbed three oranges instead. But ask yourself, how many of you in that situation would have made it a priority to save a little or all of that wealth? You see, wealth is a fickle friend, and having the wrong priorities in life is similar to buttoning your shirt incorrectly. When you miss that first one, all the others line up as misplaced as that one. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 through 18, Paul says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, you need to make it a priority to focus on the things that are not seen and remember that what you do for God has eternal rewards. And making yourself the first priority does not bring contentment. And in Haggai chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, God says, Consider your ways, you have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord, consider your ways. See, God gives you a powerful message to take stock in your life and to mull over your priorities in life and ask yourself, are you making a living to acquire more or are you making it a priority to live a life, to use your blessings, to serve God, and most importantly, be thankful for them? And as you go through life, you will determine that there are three measurable priorities that we will all be judged on on our final day. And I was reminded of this, but something I've heard a long time ago, that you can tell a lot about a person's priorities by looking at their calendar and their bank account. And it's very true. And one measurable priority that we will be judged on is your schedule. What do you fill your day with and for whom? You see, the founder of McDonald's, Ray Kroc, was asked by a reporter what his order of priorities were in life. And he said, I believe in God, my family, and McDonald's. And then he added to that, but when I step into the office, I reverse the order. But how many of you find yourself throughout life doing the exact same thing with your time? See, it should be your number one priority to serve God. 
Another measurable priority is our spending. Think about if God sat down and, and went through your entire bank account and saw what you spent money on and how much you spent on it, would you be embarrassed? The truth is, is that your bank account is a good reflection of what your priorities are in life. And in Luke chapter 12, verses 32 through 34, says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money, bags that, which do not grow old, a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Say it again there. You see, in contrast to the, to the world's hoarding of possessions, you must be generous with what God gives you. You know, the reality is you can't take your possessions with you to the next life. But you can use them here to build an eternal treasure. And by serving God and others, you invest in that eternal future. And you need to invest in the kingdom of God, and he deserves the first and best of every paycheck. There's a third measurable priority, and that is your speech. You will be judged on your speech or by your words. And I want to ask you, the condition of your heart, do spirit, the thought of spiritual things excite you or do they bore you? And Jesus says one way to test the condition of your heart in Matthew chapter 12, verses 35 through 37, for a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure in his heart brings forth evil. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be condemned. See, Jesus is telling you that you will be judged by your words and that Bad people do bad things because of the evil in their heart, but your words not only tell you what state your heart is in, but your words also show the condition of what your heart is in currently. And those measurable priorities are a huge factor in how you determine how to choose to live your life. You know, perhaps you choose to take the road most traveled. Perhaps you are content to take the easy road and to live just a normal life. The majority of you might consider that to be a good life, but the Bible considers that to be the broad road, the easy road. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, tells you, Enter the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is a gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Are you finding it? The truth is, is that you're typically satisfied or content with living in the status quo and being utterly complacent. And it, Paul says in Romans chapter two, 12, verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The reality is, is that God wants to change you into the person that he wants you to be. He wants to change the priorities in your life. And most importantly, he wants to be the center of of your love and attention. But in order to do that, you have to choose to live a life with an in-game mentality. 
And you think to yourself, well, what's an in-game mentality? Well, when you choose to live a life with an in-game mentality, you basically choose to never be content in, a growing, in the growing process. You choose never to become complacent. And you choose to never ad adopt the mindset that I've made it. You see, to live a life with an in-game mentality, it doesn't matter what status you've achieved in life or how long you've been a Christian. It's never an excuse to turn a cold shoulder or ignore your responsibilities or your requirements. You resolutely leave the comfort zone and unselfishly press on in a risk-taking life of giving yourself away. But in order to live a life or choose to live a life with an in-game mentality, you must obtain two distinct qualities. And one is an attitude of absolute unselfishness. And everyone in this room, perhaps even today, has struggled with selfishness. The truth is that we live in a me-first society. I don't know how often, I, I come across this very often with my job, that I talk or you talk to people and it's amazing in such a short period of time how often they use the words I, me, my, and mine. But as Christians, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. See, Paul's unselfish emphasis was to put Christ above all his own personal desires and to serve others in order to bring them to Christ. Now, if you would in, indulge me for a moment and close your eyes. I want you to imagine you're standing there and Jesus is hanging on the cross in front of you. He's hanging there, paying for your sins and mine. He's in agony. And I want you to imagine in that moment what you would say to Jesus as to why you choose not to live the most unselfish life possible. What are you going to say? I was too busy serving myself? Brothers and sisters, you can open your eyes. Brothers and sisters, I never want to reach out a hand that's soft and uncalloused, a hand never dirty from serving others, to shake the nail-pierced hand of Jesus Christ. Would you? And the second quality you must obtain is a willingness to risk. There's no time to play it safe. The stakes are too high. The stakes are eternal. The eternal lives of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of people are at stake. And it is essential for you to choose to live an in-game mentality of taking risk so that God can plant seeds of his love to all the people he allows you to come across. You have to have a sense of urgency. I don't know. There, there's some football fans here, including myself. But one of my favorite parts about watching a football game is either the last two minutes of the half or the last two minutes of the game. And it's because in a close competitive game, that's when the offenses run their two-minute drill or two-minute offense. It's fast, fast action, no huddle. And NFL statisticians have discovered that those offenses in that moment score three times more often than others. Do you know why that is? It's that sense of urgency. It's do or die. It's either score or lose the game. And 
Brothers and sisters, you have to live life with that type of sense of urgency and go out into the world and speak the word of God with boldness. You have to step outside your comfort zone and risk coloring outside the lines. You know what? The payoff of investing in the things of God is out of this world. But your priorities and Jesus' priorities need to parallel. And Jesus gave us a great example of what our priorities should be in this life. You see, Jesus prioritized in spending time alone with God in prayer. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out to a solitary place, and there he prayed. You see, Jesus made it very clear that you need to find a time and a place uninterrupted to pray to God. And that needs to be a priority. See, Jesus made it a priority spending his life teaching others about God. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, <clears throat> excuse me, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease among the people. You see, throughout his ministry, Jesus took advantage of every opportunity to teach people how to better serve and understand God. And he instructs you to do the same with boldness. You see, Jesus also made it a priority to protect his time from other people's agendas. And in John chapter 6, verses 14 through 15 says, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come take him by force and make him king, he fled alone to the mountains by himself. See, Jesus showed that you are not to allow other people's agendas to prohibit you from unselfishly serving God. And Jesus made it a priority to save people. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. There was a woman in Biloxi, Mississippi that thought she would, thought her life had no purpose. She thought that she would be able to commit suicide by jumping off the wharf. I don't know if any of you have been there, but there was a guy walking by, saw her jumping, forgetting that he didn't even know how to swim, jumped in after her to save her instinctually. But then when he landed, he began to drown himself. So the woman, woman at this point in time forgets about all of her problems and turns around and ends up saving her savior by pulling him to shore. And she told reporters afterwards that in that moment, she forgot all about her problems and her life felt like it had meaning. And by saving someone else, she saved herself. See, metaphorically, have you ever been a part of bringing someone to Jesus? It will impact your life dearly. And it is one purpose why God created you to save people and to connect people everywhere with Jesus Christ. Quite simply put, we all need to make it a priority to live a life with Jesus' Jesus's examples of the way he chose to prioritize and live his life. 
in close today, I want to reiterate to you the importance of prioritizing and believing that you are not called to be careful, but to take risk. You're not called to be cautious, but to be caring. To give without worrying yourself about a return. And to walk by faith and not by sight. And I want to continue the story about the young boy from earlier. You know, for two months, he got up every Sunday and got dressed and rode his bicycle to church. Until his mother figured out where he had been going and told him he couldn't do that anymore. About 22 years later, this now 30-year-old man, after living a life of poor priorities and choices, met a good Christian woman. A woman that had Christ-like priorities and values in her life. And he began to go to church again. And he was satisfying that internal thirst that God has given to us all. A few months later, He was alone in his kitchen. He just poured a big glass of bourbon. And before he could take a sip, he had this overwhelming sense of emotion come over him that he needed to be baptized and that he needed to make better choices in his life. And he calls his girlfriend, and he tells her that. He says, "I, I just need to be baptized. She explains to him that there's no time to wait, that... He needs to meet her at the church immediately, as soon as possible. Brothers and sisters, I I poured that glass of bourbon without taking a sip down the drain of my kitchen sink. And I got into my car, and I drove to the Church of Christ in Gunner, Texas. And there I was met by Laura and most of her family. You see... Laura saved me by bringing me back to Christ. My future father-in-law that night baptized me into Christ. And, but more importantly, I chose to make it a priority to put God first in my life and to stop ignoring that internal beacon that he has planted in each and every one of us. Brothers and sisters, if you are ignoring that spiritual thirst, stop. And if you need help, let us pray together. And if you need to get baptized, you can't afford to wait. But you have to take the first step at eternal life by coming forward as we stand and sing this song of invitation.